Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by the Community Orchard Network. In this monthly radio show and podcast, I'm going to take you on a journey. We'll learn about fruit trees, permaculture, food forests, and so much more. So if you're a gardener and enjoy growing your own food, if you love trees and especially fruit trees, or if you're just interested in living a more sustainable life, you've come to the right place. I'm Susan Poisner, your host for today. So get ready, roll up your sleeves, and let's dig into today's episode. Good afternoon and welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To contact us live, send us an email right now, realityradio101 at yahoo.com. And now, your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show today. It's springtime, and so many of us are dreaming about what we're going to do with our gardens this year. And we're also shopping. Shopping for seeds, for tools, and for plants that might just fit into that one corner of our already overplanted urban garden. Well, in the program today, we're going to be exploring an option for gardeners like me who want to grow more fruit in their yard but just don't have a lot of space left. So let's say you want a cherry tree in your garden and you don't have the space. Well, maybe you do have space for a compact cherry shrub. In a minute, we're going to talk to Dr. Bob Bors, the head of the University of Saskatchewan's fruit program, who developed and introduced the Romance series of dwarf cherries. Now, these cherry shrubs can be very productive, so what are you going to do with all those cherries? That was a problem Dr. Bors' wife, Loretta, faced. Her solution? It was to work with some friends on developing the world's most extensive cherry cookbook. They called it Cooking with Cherries from the Prairies. And we're going to talk to her today, too. But let's start off today with Virginie Gizel, the founder of the Treemobile Project here in Ontario. Her quest is to bring high-quality fruiting plants to Ontario gardens, and she's in the studio with me today. So Virginie, can you tell me a little bit about Treemobile? What is it all about? Hi, Susan. Um, well, we, we uh, sell fruits and trees online, the plants, and um, in spring we deliver them or have them picked up by groups of happy volunteers. That sounds good, but how is it different? Like, why shouldn't people go to, I don't know, Canadian Tire or something and pick up their plants there? <laughs> well, not to... Uh, say anything about Canadian Tire, but they're often amateurs taking care of those plants. Um, And they really don't have a very good selection. Uh, And most of the plants they have are very conventional. They're not suited for um, organic 
farming, which most of us want to do. So we provide a, a much wider selection, um, and the trees are in better shape. They're bare root. They're, you get them the next day, and you plant them, and you've got fruit for years to come. Now let's talk about bare root trees. Why is it better? What does it look like? If I'm your client and I'm going to get a, a tree, I guess it just doesn't arrive in a pot like it would <laughs> in the garden center. Tell me a little bit about what that feels like for a client. It's a very big stick with a few branches <laughs> and roots on the end. The reason we use bare root is because the when, you're, when trees are grown in a pot, the roots tend to girdle. They go around in circles. Whereas with the bare root tree, um, you get more of the root um, and it's the natural shape that the root wants to be. So, you, you know, you just need a little more care when planting, but your, your tree is going to have a better foundation to get started. Um, and some of our trees are actually quite tall. They're, the um, plums can be as high as 10 or 11 feet. So I guess it, delivery has to be linked to a certain time of year. There is an urgency, I suppose, with bare root trees. And I know that you guys have a deadline for ordering, I think. Um, when is it that people have to order by, and when will these trees be delivered? Well, I think we're going to stay open until middle of April. Um, but after that, we have to plan the routes, uh, make sure everybody's orders are available, um, you know, just get them all booked at the nursery, <clears throat> and we have to organize the volunteers. So it's a volunteer-run project. Mm-hmm. How How is that possible? <laughs> because we're just really nice people. <laughs> and there you go. And really hardworking. It's a lot of work. There's a real sense um, <clears throat> of urgency for starting to grow our own fruit. You know, obviously right now there's the price of fruit. But we've been running. This is our sixth year. And um, that wasn't really an issue before. I think people are just tired of paying a premium for organic fruit. Um, and especially not knowing where it comes from or seeing that it comes from you know, Peru or Brazil or New Zealand. Why does Canada need to get apples from New Zealand? <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're, this is apple country. So it's really a way of encouraging people to just give it a try. Absolutely. And we have things in all sizes, from the cherry shrubs. We carry some of um, the cherry shrubs we're going to talk about later. Um, even really small things like asparagus, which are beautiful plants. They're actually quite decorative. And of course, in spring, you get your very own asparagus. We had one buyer who said, I didn't realize they grew here. Really? Isn't that something? Wow. I, mean, I remember growing up picking our own asparagus. Oh, my People, gosh. So there's an educational component to it as well. Now, full disclosure here, I work with Virginie, and we do a wonderful, um, basically a competition for community gardens and community orchards to apply, and, and Virginie uh, gives them free trees, and I contribute the fruit tree care education. So we worked together on that, and this year there were a lot. There was a lot of interest, wasn't there? Oh yes, we had thirteen entries, and a few came in, but they were late, so we couldn't accept them. So these are fabulous projects in the areas that Virginie and the TreeMobile team deliver their plants, their trees, and um, we so want to encourage people to experiment and to learn about fruit trees. Now. Virginie, we are going to come back and we're going to talk some more. But just in case right now people are at their computer and they want to just Google TreeMobile, what, uh, what website should they go to? It's transitiontreemobile.org. Transitiontreemobile.org. So if you are listening on the Internet, as I'm sure all of you are, and you want to Google that, transitiontreemobile.org, check it out now. The two of us, I think, can I speak for both of us, mm -hmm. that we're very curious to talk to Dr. Bob Bors because we both are nurturing and caring for these cherry shrubs that he has helped to develop. 
So he's going to come on the line. And, and uh, Dr. Bors, are you on the line now? Yes, I am. Welcome. It's so great to hear your voice. We've gotten to know your, your babies over here. You have, uh, you have cherry shrub babies here in Toronto. I'm, I'm sure you have them many in many places around the world. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the history of the Romance series of cherries? How did it all, be, how did it all begin? Well, it started probably 1940 wow. by a, uh, uh, a breeder called Les Kerr. And he started breeding these cherries against the wishes of the federal government. He was supposed to be breeding uh, uh, shelterbelt trees, but he was breeding cherries in secret and sending them out to farmers. And he did that for about 40 years. And then when he was actually on his deathbed, he called in the fruit breeder from the University of Saskatchewan and told him which farms had his best cherries and told them they should start breeding them. So uh, one of my predecessors visited these farms and they dug up the best plants and brought them to the university and started breeding a new generation. Well, what was his goal initially? I mean, are there not enough cherry tree varieties out there in the world that we need to develop some more? What were his goals? Well, there were no... The only cherry that was growing in Saskatchewan that was related was called the Mongolian cherry. And it has a cherry smaller than a dime. Like it was half pit, half cherry, and very sour. So he was crossing that to uh, European cherries and just trying to get something better. And he got them up to about the size of a penny. Hmm. Uh, but they were still kind of sour. But the next next uh, couple of generations, we got flavor into them. So and, how uh, how did you do that? Just by cross. I mean, when you say crossing, can you describe the process? Well, you you gather pollen from one one plant, uh, and then you when the other flowers are not quite open, you cut off all the anthers and put the pollen of the one you want to be the dad onto it. And cherries, it's rather, it's very slow and tedious because you do all this work on each flower and then you just get one seed and you probably need a couple thousand to to get a really good thing. Wow. So it took, it sounds like it was a, a 60 year process. Yeah, it was like when I got here, uh, the generation, the more recent generation was almost kind of fruit. And then when it did fruit, we were able to find which ones were the best ones. Now, when you say the best ones, were they the best of the bunch or were they great? (laughs) Well, actually, you know, I thought they were great. But I was new to the province. And I I went to an international cherry conference, right, which was in Oregon. And to my shock as a new professor, uh, they put me as the first speaker after the keynote speaker because they couldn't believe anyone in Saskatchewan was growing any cherries at all. And actually later on, the big textbook on cherries, the sort of research textbook, it lists Saskatchewan and every state and province that touches it as you don't grow cherries there. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, 
I got up there, and my, my attitude was, I'm going to go there, I'll probably get embarrassed, but maybe somebody will tell me what I did wrong or what we're doing not so good. And uh, I was shocked to find the next speaker started his talk. He was from, I think, uh, Denmark or something. He said, our cherry, sour cherries aren't as big as sweet as the Saskatchewan cherries, but... And the guy next to me said, uh, the Saskatchewan cherries are the hit of the conference. Wow. Like, so for 60 years, they bred them here, but they never really appreciated them. Hmm. That's always amazing. always something was better in B.C., I think. Now, a lot of our listeners are in the United States. They're in all over. So they think, oh, well, why is Saskatchewan such a challenging place to grow cherries? What's the big deal? Well, we have minus 40 every, pretty much every winter. All the last few years, it's only been minus 35, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so uh, the, the variety of the Mongolian cherry, which is really a relative of the sour cherry, uh, it was the only, is really a short bush. And we had to use that in breeding to make the plants hardy, but we unintentionally develop cherries that are really short, Mm -hmm. that are more bushes than trees. And that's actually something that the fruit world's been trying to do in many tree fruits, like apples are usually planted on dwarf fruit stocks. And uh, the cherries being on their own roots and dwarf was also a big uh, breakthrough. That is a huge breakthrough, yeah. No grafting necessary in order to reproduce them, I guess. Yeah, and if you really, like, we had a minus 50 winter one year, and it knocked down some of the trees, but not completely, and uh, they came back. So, not that anyone else is going to get minus 50, but... Well, uh, I saw online, do you you call them dwarf trees? Because they look like shrubs to me, but I've seen them referred to as dwarf trees. Well, you know, some propagators are training them like trees, and they really shouldn't. They really should train them as bushes with many stems coming from the bottom. And uh, uh, because those old branches next eventually want to get renewed. And actually, it's much simpler to train them as a bush because what you do is you look at the bottom of your tree and every few years you take out some of the bigger branches and let the little ones grow up and renew the tree. Like a blueberry, for instance, like blueberry pruning. Yeah, blueberries, and they do black currants that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it just makes it, it's actually much easier to train than trying to make it a single trunk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe it's sturdier as well, because you don't just have one trunk. So you've got, you know, one breaks in the wind, you've got a bunch more to, uh, to rely on. Yeah. Um, I had a, a conversation on, on the Internet, actually, with some people who are growing these these shrubs. And some people are like, oh, we love them. I'm so excited. And other people said, oh, they're not that productive. Like, what, what, what expectations should people have in terms of how much fruit you get out of each shrub? I think a lot of it has <laughs> to do with pollination, mm-hmm. right, whether you have enough bees. Because even though they can pollinate themselves, the the pollen doesn't float in the air. They have to have bees on the trees. And so they're, they're doing major studies of 
cherries in Saskatchewan, and I think they're they're doing a full blown one this summer. But one place they found that flies were pollinating them more than bees. Mm-hmm. And at the university, since we've been growing fruit for almost a hundred years, we have like seven or eight species of wild bees around our place. So ours always get well pollinated, but some of the people planting them out in the country that maybe don't have many uh, fruit trees, the pollinators don't know they're there yet. Hmm. So what about the name? You guys came up with such a great uh, name. It's the Romance Series, Romeo, Juliet, Cupid, Valentine, Crimson Passion. Who came up with that idea? Well, actually, we had like a contest for our uh, the, our, the nurseries that were selling our plants to come up with names. And uh, Paul Hammer of the Saskatoon Farm in Calgary came up with the idea of the Love Series. But that sounded a little too 70-ish. <laughs> it sounded like my early teenage years, right? And he had a couple of those names in there, like, Cupid and maybe Valentine. And then talking about with other propagators, I think one of the local ones in Saskatoon said, you know, romance sounds much more classy. And uh, we latched on to that. And we said, yeah, that sounds really good. (laughs) I think it's terrific. I know that one thing that listeners are going to want to know is how do they taste? Do these taste like regular cherries? Do they look like regular cherries? Well, most people are more familiar with sweet cherries, which are the big uh, big ones you find in the grocery store with the stems on them, right? And the sour cherry, though, is much better for cooking. It like almost all the cherry drinks, all the pies, the dried cherries, uh, almost all of those are always sour cherries. And sour cherries is a little misleading because sour cherries can be just as sweet as sweet cherries, but they have more acidity, right? But uh, if you process a sweet cherry, it's really only good in ice cream. Like, you don't want to cook with it. Loretta can tell you more about that. But um, The sour cherry is what really gives food a nice punch to it. So they're actually the regular size of sour cherries because there's a, a standard pitting machine in the world and we have to make our cherries fit that pitting machine. Although our one variety, Cupid, tends to make cherries bigger than a pitting machine can take. It's hmm. good to know for those of us who want big cherries <laughs> we yeah. don't, and don't have but pitting I, machines. I guess another reason they look different is See, in the U.S. and most of Canada, we're used to a bright red cherry. But the Europeans think those are disgusting. Hmm. And they like the dark black cherries or dark burgundy. And for improved breeding stock, we went, the parent we crossed to the less curved stuff was northern European gourmet-type cherries. And they're all dark. So all of our cherries are pretty dark, except Valentine is more red. Hmm. And are are they growing it in Europe? Are they growing these shrubs? Are they growing these? We're here in Canada. Have they gone to the United States? Um, well, our first variety has snuck over to Europe and is being sold. But we're about to release some more cherries 
in Europe, they're getting virus certified right now. So we have some more lined up. People are always emailing me from Europe, uh, and they ours do taste really nice. So I think there will be a big hit there. One of the top cherry nurseries in Europe is the guy putting ours through virus-free certification. So. And what about the states? I had uh, an email from Megan McGuire from Minnesota, and she says, wow, I've never heard of these shrubs. I want to buy them. Where can I get them in the United States? Well, there is a company that uh, Gurney's and Henry Fields has them, and the parent company to them is uh, trying to get how to mass propagate them. They weren't really a tissue culture company that can make varieties really quick, but uh, they're working on it. Mm, kind of getting closer. I, I just want to take a minute and remind the listeners that you guys, you can email in your questions for anybody here in the studio on the line. So write this down, realityradio101 at yahoo.com. We would love to hear your comments and questions. So, Bob, I really I want to get into more details in a minute about how to choose these cherries, how to grow them successfully. But first, why don't we take a few minutes? Maybe you'll just hold on the line and we'll listen to a few words from our sponsors. Are you okay staying on the line for a minute or two? Sure. Okay, great. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, and we'll be back right after this short break. Hey, Sally, your garden is looking great today. Thanks, Gary. Your lawn is looking a little bit dry. Ah, that's okay. It's all going to change. Soon I'm going to plant a fruit tree in my yard. I'm thinking an apple tree or maybe peach. That sounds great, but do you know what you're doing? Well, fruit trees are easy. You just plant them, water them, and wait for the harvest, right? Actually, that's not quite the case. What? Organic orchardists spend a lot of time protecting their fruit trees from pest and disease problems. Really? And in order to thrive, fruit trees need to be pruned every year. Hmm, I didn't know that. I'll tell you what. Before you buy your tree, why don't you go to orchardpeople.com? You'll learn lots about growing fruit from the blog, and there's a fantastic monthly newsletter with seasonal tips and reminders. Maybe I should check that out. Yeah, then if you really want to move ahead, you can sign up for orchardpeople.com's beginner fruit tree care course. So maybe I should hold off on buying my tree today? You got it. The more you know, the better your tree will grow. Sign up for a free membership to OrchardPeople.com today. Are you new to growing fruit trees or perhaps a seasoned expert? Either way, come and join the Community Orchard Network. We are a group of community and home orchardists from across North America who gather through monthly webinars, radio broadcasts like this one, and podcasts. We want to share our experience, deepen our knowledge, and widen the movement. Join the conversation. Visit www.com 
orchardpeople.com forward slash network to find out more. This message was brought to you by the Baltimore Orchard Project. See the look on my face from staying too long in one place. But every time I try to leave. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To contact us live, email us right now. RealityRadio101 at yahoo.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. This is the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101, brought to you by the Community Orchard Network. I'm Susan Poisner, and today I'm in the studio with Virginie Gizelle of Treemobile in Toronto. And we're also chatting with Dr. Bob Boers of the University of Saskatchewan's Fruit Fruit Tree Breeding, Breeding Program. Sorry, I'm having trouble talking right now. Bob, are you still on the line? Yeah. Yeah, so we were talking about the romance uh, series of cherries that you developed. And I know that a lot of the listeners, uh, many people like Virginia and I, we've started to, uh, we've planted some of these shrubs and we're caring for them. But, but really, can you give us a bit of a summary of what type of care is involved in order to maximize fruit production? Well, uh, some of the common things in the backyard is uh, you want your plant to have well-drained soil and lots of sunshine, right? So if it's partially shaded, I always say if it, however much shade it gets is how much fruit you're not going to get. So uh, if it's shaded one-fourth a day, you'll probably a little bit less than normal. Hmm. But uh, cherries tend not to like sitting in water. Uh, it could be okay for a little bit during the spring thaw, but if they sit in drowning in water for a week or two, then they start to suffer. Uh, but they need only moderate amounts of fertilizer, you know, like compost. Um, uh, in, in the prairies, I tell people, when in doubt, don't fertilize. <laughs> Really? Because the soil is so nutritious or? Yeah, well, because the prairie soils tend to be deep and rather rich. Mm. And if you fertilize too much in a cold climate and your plant is still growing into fall, you're probably going to get winter damage. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite tricks or tips to tell people is go out on the uh, first frost and see if your plants are still making new leaves. And if they are, you're in trouble. <laughs> it's too and late then. Part of the trouble could be <laughs> that you fertilize too much late in the season, like you should be doing it in spring, or you pruned late, or sometimes you have like a drought during the summer, and then you start watering late summer, and then the plant wakes up and wants to grow more. So hmm. it would have been better if you had watered a little bit more earlier, <laughs> so, hmm. so they weren't so thrilled to get any moisture. <laughs> Right. Well, what about pruning? So we met, we talked about it. We touched upon it. What would you say the pruning strategy is? Well, we like to use uh, a reciprocal saw. 
you know, that's a real narrow blade. And uh, just we just cut off like the oldest branches at the base. And uh, we actually, we're usually growing them in rows, right? They, they'll send underground, well, they'll have root buds, right? So they might, we've selected ones that don't make as many root buds as other trees, but they'd still make some. So you can have your tree get wider over time. And actually, the, some of the daughters that come out a little ways away from the original bush can be better in a few years than the mother bush. So they're essentially suckers, are they not? What What is the difference? Well, suck, <clears throat> suckers usually arise. There's rhizomes, which sends out a shoot from the main plant that then comes up. But... Cherries don't do that. They actually do a root that makes a bud show up. So like a Saskatoon berry does suckers. Or you could also, so many people also call suckers can come up at the base of the plant. But I'm, uh, cherries can come out from the roots. So do, is, it, is it like a raspberry where they just spread and spread? Uh, botanically, it's like a raspberry, but they're nowhere near like a raspberry like raspberries can take over your whole whole backyard. In fact, Loretta's been battling our raspberries in the backyard for <laughs> as long as we've lived here. <laughs> but uh, cherries, like if you keep them well pruned, they're usually not much of a problem. Hmm. Okay. So, but if you want them to spread, they can. Yeah. Or you might leave a space. Uh, a meter on either side of it that you would like a wider bush. Okay, wow. Well, that's 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 serious spreading. That's good. You buy one bush and you can get like three bushes worth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know. This may be wishful thinking. We have a serious problem here in Toronto with uh, bacterial canker in cherry trees. Like they just ooze the stuff all over. It spreads from tree to tree. So here's my dream. My dream is that that these little cherry shrubs are immune to it. Am I living in fantasy, or is it actually true? Well, you shouldn't be thinking of absolutes. Hmm. Now, they did a trial in Michigan with the, the cherries that were available at the time, and they said ours were more resistant than the average variety, but they still get bacterial canker once in a while. Well, I guess... We've, mm-hmm. Sorry. We've seen it in our fields, but it's hardly ever present, but Michigan would be a, is a better test. I guess the thing is that, again, if it's a shrub, so it's not a single stem, I, the real problem is if the if the canker gets into the, the actual trunk, then you have to cut down the whole tree if you want to stop it. But if it's a shrub, so you cut off the branches that are diseased and you dispose of them carefully, and, and uh, it's manageable. I would think. Yeah, and the thing to do if you do have canker is to uh, sanitize your saw after each cut, mm-hmm. right? And what we, uh, this brings up another favorite hint of mine, is we don't, I don't like bleach because it'll get all over your clothes or burn your hands and stuff. We use Lysol. Mm-hmm. We, like, we like buy that spray bottle of Lysol and you just spray that on your on your saw, and 
that's a better sanitizer or less likely to ruin your clothes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually and I nose, use... And your nostrils. <laughs> I use rubbing alcohol, but saws, I'm always baffled. How do I wipe this clean without ripping my the, the cloth that I'm cleaning with? So I guess something a spray bottle sounds like a really good option. Lysol, wow, I remember that stuff. Um, so would Lysol be considered an organic option? Well, I don't know. I don't know, but it's not like you're really putting it in the system, you're just cleaning, mm-hmm. right? So you would clean your tools with something, you know, like a detergent, and that wouldn't isn't something you're putting on your plant either. Hmm. What about black knot, cherry rot? Uh, does it get all the other stuff that cherry trees get? I thought cherries never got black knot, but I was in uh, in. Ontario last year, and they showed me an Evans cherry tree that looked like it had it. Hmm. But Evans is not as hardy as ours, and it's the only time I've ever seen it. Now, I have seen, um, and it's the Evans tree again, (laughs) in uh, Nova Scotia, it actually had black bacterial canker but then a fungus was growing on top of it. So it looked like black knot at first, but then when you picked at it, it had uh, you know, that uh, orangey ooze uh, dried sap underneath. Hmm. Well, I guess in Saskatchewan, I guess you don't even have the problem of black knot. Can it survive those cold winters? Oh, we have it horribly in our choke cherries. Oh, okay. Yeah. But, but they... But sour cherries are supposed to be immune to that. But I did see that one time. Hmm. But I'm still wondering what if it's really <laughs> what they say it is. But now, just one more question. I'm going to hand it over actually to Virginie in a minute. But um, how they are cold hardy, so that's amazing. But what if you want to grow these in California? Do they need the cold in order to thrive? Where where can you grow these plants? Yeah, you. Well, you know, there is a, there was research done with apples that you might be able to grow the northernmost apples in the southern locations because they don't need uh, as much dormancy requirements. But I, you know, people have sent me, they grew some of these cherries in Las Vegas and they were two feet high and fruiting, but I don't think they only had one winter. They didn't really have a winter yet. So I think it was really iffy. Hmm. I would think you might be able to go halfway down the U.S., uh, but I'm not sure. Well, we'll have to, if any of the listeners um, uh, have tried that, anybody who's listening to the podcast later, I'd love to hear um, how things are going. You can always email me at info at orchardpeople.com. So wherever you're growing these shrubs, we I'd love to hear how it's going. And I know that there's a Facebook conversation about it going on right now, even as we speak, which I want, we'll look at after the show. But um, Virginie, you uh, you have your own community orchard that you started in a local churchyard. And I know that I know because I've been there that you have the same problem that I have, that there's so much, so many trees and you just want to keep squeezing stuff in. Um, you have uh, at least one of uh, Dr. Bora's cherries in there. How how are you doing with it? How is it going? It's great. <clears throat> it's been oh sorry, um, 
it fruited in the first year, which was really exciting. But the fruit was strange. It was sort of red right away, um, but a little bit hard. And then I realized it just has to ripen. So I had to wait till it became a little more translucent. And then I had my first shrub cherry, and it was delicious. You know, I have never cooked one. <laughs> they just never get into the house. <laughs> that's interesting. So that's the problem. You can grow them, but cooking with them might be iffy if you eat them all in the in the garden. That's the problem. I have a question um, for Bob. How do you find birds are with these cherries versus cherry trees? Because it was so red and inviting, I was sure that it would be gone to the birds, but they didn't seem to, to, to understand that it was a cherry, whereas our regular cherry trees got attacked by the birds. So do you find it's a little more bird-proof? Uh, we don't, well, we have so many fruits uh, at the university that the birds don't like it very much. Poor you. They actually, <laughs> birds prefer berries that are more bite-sized. True. Right, so a cherry they'd have to peck through. Mm. Uh I have heard of gardeners having it, but maybe if you have a community orchard, you have other little berries around that they would rather be eating. Mm. But I have heard of people netting the cherries once in a while. Well, I think in an urban environment, the poor birds have such limited choice that they're a little more interested in our fruits than in yours, I guess. Um, I also wonder, would you... um, mind recommending what would be the best for a small urban garden um we we were selling cupid and um i think valentine um but i wonder if there's one you you think is especially suited to urban conditions well cupid and valentine are are among the large slightly larger of our trees Mm -hmm. uh crimson passion is the very smallest and uh it doesn't sucker very much, and it's a lot smaller than the other ones. But may, like for us, it's, it's well, it, it had died back on our minus fifty year, but uh, it would be two thirds the size of the other ones. So which many people think it's too small, right? So, but the one that people like the best for flavor is Romeo. Ah, but we're talking maybe talking hairs. <laughs> I don't know. You know, connoisseurs visiting us, trying all the cherries, agree that Romeo tastes the best. But Romeo uh, also tends to produce earlier than the other ones, like earlier as in a year earlier. Mm. Like it makes more, you know, it might take four years for the average cherry growing under really good conditions to be producing a lot of cherries or five. And Romeo might do that in the third year. Hmm. So I, I kind of, I would go in, the, in southern Ontario. I would try those two out. But the Valentine is like a nice, beautiful. Is the red one? Mm-hmm. If you wanted to make dried cherries, that one looks beautiful when it gets dried. Right. Because you know, the other ones would look like raisins, and that one would look like a cherry. <laughs> and how how high does the biggest plant get? Well, for us, uh, and I tracked ours when they started growing. When they start fruiting, they they don't grow very fast. Like they only grow a couple inches a year. So, and at the University of Saskatchewan, they're usually two to two and a half meters tall. And I've seen an extra half meter at other sites 
but that would be if you didn't really prune them. Mm-hmm. Right. So <laughs> if you pruned it, you could keep it down to like two meters would be nice because then it's easy to pick it. Mm-hmm. And that's a perfect size for a for an urban lot. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And you can keep them smaller if you want. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Well, I'm gonna. We're going to take uh, a few minutes again to listen to um, some messages from our sponsors. But after the break, we have a treat coming up. You see, when you're harvesting a lot of cherries, you really need to get creative and find a way to prepare them other than just eating them fresh. So, Bob, hey, hold on the line or pass the phone over to Loretta, your wife, who is the co-author of an award-winning cherry cookbook called Cooking with Cherries from the Prairies. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the Community Orchard Network. I'm Susan Poisner, and this is Reality Radio 101. We'll be back with Bob Loretta in just a moment. place is amazing. There are birds, bees, and fruit trees, and I'm in the middle of a big city. You are in Philadelphia. Our city is growing more beautiful each year thanks to the Philadelphia Orchard Project. We plant fruit trees, berry bushes, and other edibles in city parks, gardens, and other public places. I can see that. Raspberry canes, fig trees, and peaches If I lived nearby, I would never go hungry. That's one of our goals. We want to help communities grow their own food by teaching residents how to plant fruit trees and care for them. We focus on the neighborhoods that need it most. It sounds like a great project. How can I help? How can I learn more? Please visit our website at phillyorchards.org to volunteer or donate. And you can also follow our Urban Orchard blog. phillyorchards.org. I will definitely check it out. Thanks so much, and have a great day. This message was brought to you by the Philadelphia Orchard Project. Enjoying the cool breeze under the shade of a tree. Picking apples and berries from your local community orchard. Jumping in a pile of leaves. You can do all these activities and more when you connect with nature where you live. Lily Leaf Solutions works to connect people with quality parks, trails, trees, and orchards near them. Through technical expertise and data-driven strategic planning, Lily Leaf Solutions empowers urban residents to become advocates for nature in their communities. When we all have access to quality nature, we all progress together. Lily Leaf Solutions, empowerment together. Follow us on Twitter at Lily Leaf and visit us at lilyleaf.com today. to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. 
Contact us live right now. Send us an email. RealityRadio101 at Yahoo.com. And now, right back to your host, Susan Poisner. Hi, I'm Susan Poisner, and you're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by the Community Orchard Network. This is a program where we learn about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and lots more. Thanks for tuning in. Today in the studio, we have Virginie Gazelle of Transition Treemobile, a volunteer-powered fruit tree selection and delivery service here in Ontario. And on the line until now, we've been chatting with Dr. Bob Boers, head of the fruit tree breeding program at the University of Saskatchewan. He's been talking about the Romance series of cherries, cherry shrubs that can be grown in cold climates and in small spaces. But as we know, no ice cream sundae is ever complete without the cherry on top. And today that cherry is our chat with Loretta Boers. Loretta is Bob's wife, and over the years she's become quite good at cooking with cherries. So she and a few friends got together and wrote Cooking with Cherries in the Prairies, a cookbook that earned an international award and is said to be the biggest cherry cookbook ever written. Hi, Loretta. Are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hi. So nice to speak to you. Hi. Nice to talk to you, too. So you have to tell me, how did your cherry cookbook project begin? Well, Bob and I were out on this uh, rural farm, and we were talking to this farmer, and he showed us his cherry bush, and it was just overflowing with cherries, and it was just beautiful. And I said, wow, how lucky you are. And he looked at me like I was an alien that landed from another planet. And he says, what do you mean? And I says, well, you've got all these cherries. And he says, yeah, well, I feed them to the pigs. <gasps> I'm from Ontario, and we're used to dealing with, with sour cherries. And, and so for me, it was like I've got to introduce this wonderful fruit or help to introduce it to people who don't know how to cook with it. Yes, and they're not as familiar as we are in in Ontario with them in Saskatchewan. Well, I mean, let's put it this way. I eat fresh cherries. Of course, I know, not that I'm a good baker or anything, but, you know, there's cherry crumble and cherry pie. But how many different recipes for cherry crumble and cherry pie can you dream up? Well, we came up with 371 recipes. And they're not just cherries. They are. They include different meat juice, meat recipes, and sauces and juices. Well, how, how can well, like what? Give me an example. What's a meat recipe that would integrate some beautiful cherries in it? Well, one of the ones that uh, uh, Cease came up with was called dinosaur bones, <laughs> and it's just basically ribs with this cherry barbecue and the the cherries just really bring out the flavor in the barbecue Hmm. in the barbecue sauce it's really wonderful and then there are others where where we're doing we're trying to do it with salads like we we developed these uh salad dressings for cherries Hmm. and where the cherries are as part of the dressing or where the the dressing goes on top of the cherries a little bit of both, because huh. a lot of it we did. To, we did put it in the vinaigrette, like we came up with this cherry vinaigrette, 
and we also like I like taking dried cherries and just sprinkling them on top of salads mm. just to get, offset that flavor a little bit. Will you dry the cherries at home? Do you have a dehydrator or something that you use? Yes, yes, I've dehydrated them before. Um, they take a little bit of work, hmm. but they're wonderful, wonderful, and they're they're good in fruits, fruit salads, and different you know regular vegetable salads, and just I like just eating them as a snack. And I've made granola with them too. Mm. Yummy. Yeah, I got a dehydrator once and we were playing around with it. It just, it took forever. Nothing ever really dried. Just took too yeah, long. Yeah, you really have to have a lot of patience. I have I have a gas oven, so it's easier for me to dry in the oven than it is in the dehydrator on some things that have a high liquid level. So what temperature would you uh, put the cherries or, or whatever in? I'm doing it around 225. Hmm. And then you leave it for how long? Uh, probably about six to eight hours, depending on the size of the cherries. Hmm. Yeah, dried cherries would be great. That I can see, sprinkling them on green salads, and uh, that would be yummy, like cranberries, like uh, or even raisins I put on salads sometimes. Now, when you guys started this project, had you and your, your colleagues ever written a book before? No. Hmm. Uh, I One of us... Uh, one of us had actually participated, but we had never actually done this. Uh, we come from various backgrounds. I'm an accountant. Cease uh, is an ex-school teacher. Uh, Lil has run her own business. So it's it's not like any of us have done this. We were just very enthusiastic. Uh, Lil's husband works with Bob. Cease uh, is actually um, one of the master gardeners, so we're all really motivated to do this, and to, just to get get the idea of you can cook with these. So, was Bob bringing you guys uh, home like big bunches of the different uh, varieties of cherries, or do you are you using ones you grow in your own yard? Uh, he was bringing them home, but we were also growing them in our own yard. Okay, so you had a whole bunch to choose from. And did you find a difference with the different varieties, like, um, you know, Romeo versus Juliet, for instance, as varieties to to dehydrate? Or did you find some were stronger in pies and some were better in salads? We found basically that if we just blended the different varieties, we got more of a flavor out of it. Um, it's too difficult to try to cook with just one variety because it depending on, like, when they would come in. So we couldn't just, some of them would be riper and some of them wouldn't. So if we just blended them together, we got a better result. Hmm. Now, it's a charity cookbook, right? Or, or is it raising money for something? It's a cherry cookbook, but it is raising um, money for the university's plant science department to, to get students and to do further research. And and where do people find it? Uh, you can get it online from the University of Saskatchewan, mm, the okay. bookstore at the university. Okay. So listeners um, will be able and to... And also, if you, locally, some of the um, local vendors have them here. Uh, if they want to... Yeah, I think the best bet would be to go through the university's bookstore. So... Loretta, is there was there ever a point where you thought to yourself, I never want to taste another cherry again? 
actually not. <laughs> it's been it's been this really good excuse to get together. Like we've we've made um, we've made friends of ours, guinea pigs. So far, people still allow us in their homes. Uh, they don't go running when we bring over anything <laughs> for them to to try because we keep we keep testing the berries too in different recipes. Mm. Hmm. You think there's going to be a volume two? I think there is. We've oh, been wow. talking about doing a volume two. Uh, yeah, I think there is because we've, we've, yeah, it's been requested. Well, that's totally newsworthy. If you already have the biggest cherry book in the world, cherry recipe book, then you'll have two. You'll have two. That's amazing. So um, I just also wanted to say I heard it's a very special day for you today. Oh, dear. is that is that a secret? <laughs> kind of. Kind of, but I guess it's not. <laughs> I think it's not a secret anymore. It's your birthday, isn't it? It is my birthday. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Virginie's singing to you. Oh, no. You've got strangers singing to you all the way from Toronto, Ontario. Actually, Oshawa, Ontario. I've corrected myself. Oh, and, okay. Uh, so in Oshawa, Ontario, we are celebrating your birthday, and we're so honored that you spend some of your birthday with us. Well, it's been my pleasure. And, and and thank you again for promoting these these cherries. Well, I'm really excited. I mean, we're we're growing them. I'm growing them in my community orchard, and many others. Thanks to Virginie's uh, Tree Mobile project, will be experimenting with them. So I think it's exciting to have uh, a shrub that people can grow if they don't have room for a whole tree. That and we know we all know how big cherry trees can get. Very yeah, very big. It, it's, it's wonderful to have them out in your garden. Yeah, yeah. Is the harvest, is it like kind of uh, scattered throughout the season or you kind of get them all at one shot? I think it depends on the uh, the uh, breed. Bob would be better at answering that than, than I would, but uh, I think it depends on, on the breed. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for coming on the show today. I can't believe that we are coming towards the end of our hour so oh, that's been quick. I, it's been really quick. So I know that you guys are sharing one headset. So thank you to you and thank you to Bob. And I really hope to be in touch. Um, and uh, this this show will be online if you want to listen to it or have your kids or friends listen to it. I'll send you guys an email. Or anybody listening can go to orchardpeople.com slash network. And in the next few days, I will put up this podcast version of the show. So thank you for coming. Thank Thank you. you. Okay, you take care. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. So we're wrapping up the show, and I have Virginie with me still of Treemobile. And so, Virginie, tell me just, uh, again, where you're delivering these trees, what website people can go to, and any extra information. Sure. Um, If you'd like to find out more about Treemobile, please go to transitiontreemobile.org. We deliver in Toronto and Guelph and have pickup locations in Richmond Hill, Cambridge, and Toronto. Um, And also because we knew we were going to be on this show, I've actually asked my nursery to get some more shrub cherries for us. Oh, super. So you'll have lots of them. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Virginie, for coming along. Thank you. And that's all for the show today. It was great to speak to all my special guests and for the listeners. If you want to listen again, if you missed part of the show, go to orchardpeople.com slash network. 
You can listen all over again. <laughs> we cover all aspects of growing fruit trees, food forests, and permaculture gardens, and there's lots of other shows you can listen to, too. Um, other episodes. If you want to be reminded before upcoming radio shows and you want me to remind you, say, hey, there's a show coming up you should listen to, sign up for my newsletter at orchardpeople.com. You'll also get lots of fruit tree care news and tips. And I'll send you a free download of my 10 page ebook called Growing Fruit Trees That Thrive. Tune in to the show again next month and we'll have lots more great guests. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by the Community Orchard Network on Reality Radio 101. I'm Susan Poisner, and I'll see you all next month. If you want to learn more about the Community Orchard Network, I've created a page on my website where you can find out lots more information and learn how to sign up for our newsletter. Just visit www.orchardpeople.com network. And you can read our frequently asked questions and check out the free webinars and podcasts that we've recorded. Tune in next month and you'll meet some more great guests and you'll learn more about fruit trees, permaculture and forest gardens. Our show goes out on the last Tuesday of every month at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Susan Poisner. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. Right here on Reality Radio 101.